the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. The subject of sex. Yes, I said it. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Two special guests, international guests, internationally known, Dr. Clifford and Joyce Penner. They're recognized as sexual therapists, educators, and authors. And they have two great books we're going to talk about. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to be here. We sure are. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting subject because Dr. Ruth has left the building, you know. So it, yes, both of you, <laughs> you didn't mean to be sex therapists at first. How did you become sex therapists and so well-known? Well, that's a very interesting story. We definitely didn't decide to become sex therapists. We were led in that direction. I had uh, finished my doctoral work in 1971, and in 1975 I was asked to teach a class of preschool mothers about talking to their kids about sex. Wow. It started with preschool mothers. Yes. That's right. Amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and after that, they asked if I would come, one of the people in that class asked if I would come and talk to a group of 60 women who met every week who wanted to have a 10-week class on sexual adjustment in marriage. And he said, I said all I knew in 45 minutes. <laughs> so they kept pushing and I was in the I'd been a nursing professor for year, 8 years and was in the middle of I was in charge of developing the curriculum and setting up the nursing program for Azusa Pacific University and so I was very busy with that but I prevailed upon her so we taught this course in spring of 1975 and what happened was that we just got lots of positive responses hmm. and invitations to do more. And then people said, we'd like to come and see you for sexual therapy. And we said, we're not sex therapists. They said, we want to see you anyway. Hmm. And then we went and got trained. But every step of the way, it's happened that way. Being asked to write books, we've never sought out a publisher. For example, um, Tim and Beverly LaHaye wrote The Act of Marriage, came out in the late 70s. And then Ed, and they were, he was a pastor. And then Ed Wheat, who is a medical doctor, wrote Intended for Pleasure. And word books didn't want to be without a sex book, so they invited us. And that's when we wrote our first book, The Gift of Sex, which came out in 1981. And then it's gone on till now these last two books, Enjoy and The Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which are coming out right this month. Yeah, and you have some good endorsements from Rick Warren and his yeah, wife and Jim Daly, a focus on the family. And you know something, it's hard to believe, though, that not everyone is a happy customer when it comes to sex. And I think that's something that you bring out in the book. You figure that, you know, everyone's having fun and this is great, but it turns out that uh, some people want their money back and uh, this isn't what they signed up for. And uh, does it get kind of rough early in a marriage, let's just say, when people figure out, hey, this isn't going so well? When it doesn't early in marriage, there is that feeling that they express that everyone else can do it. Why can't we? Hmm. And yet, obviously, we wouldn't be in business if everybody else could do it. <laughs> or so, could do it happily. Yeah, that's true. So, there are sometimes physical reasons. There are sometimes emotional reasons. Sometimes there's just false expectations and not having gotten the right preparation. And that's very fun for us because... That usually doesn't take a lot of work. That just takes getting some, them some education and uh, clarifying that married sex isn't like it is in the movies. It is a different, whole different thing. It's fueled by the bonding hormone oxytocin rather than the 
excited hormone, uh, dopamine. And then there's all the stuff from the person's past, whether there was abuse or violation or, or bad information from their peers or from their family. All of that plays into things not always working out exactly like one would dream. Yeah, both of you remind me of like the horse whisperer. Speaking of movies, I mean, you really have to, people can be abused in, in life, I mean, either emotionally or any kind of way, uh, and to be able to kind of speak to their sense of intimacy, and it seems like that's the boundary. It's sometimes you figure, hey, we love each other, we talk to each other, but intimately, sometimes we don't get as close. Are people surprised at couples that they don't get as close as they think they're getting? Right, and they sometimes every other aspect of their relationship is working well, except the sexual. They communicate well, they enjoy each other, they like each other's humor, um, he helps with the dishes, she lets him watch football. <laughs> perfect marriage. It's a perfect marriage, <laughs> except for the sexual part mm. of it. And uh, that's always very discouraging, and often people are very uncomfortable even talking about it, so they often don't seek help. And then there's some, there's so many uh, myths about sex and false expectations. What our culture teaches, and many times the church culture has picked up the general culture, and that's what we're trying to counter in our book, Enjoy for Women, The Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women, and the Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex. And to, we're, what we're wanting to do is counter the mentality that it's the man who needs sex and it's the woman who is to please the man if it's going to work. And we find that just doesn't work and it's not really fitting with scripture and the teaching. Hmm. Is it safe to say that you're both not Baptist? <laughs> um, Good, it. you got the humor. Good. <laughs> we're, we're, we were actually both raised as Mennonites. Oh, really? So that, that's that, even worse. That's, that's <laughs> more conservative than that. Yeah. We always think God had, had a sense of humor in calling us to be the sex therapist. Well, it's true because... The different type of sex that you mentioned where you have to duty sex, if you will, that I have to do it to please my husband or things like that. We'll get into that, and I want you to talk about it. But you start the book saying, Maggie made clear during your first session with us that she was willing to engage in sexual therapy only to save her marriage. She adamantly declared, I have zero interest, and I don't care if we ever have sex again. Wow, cheer us up. But that's how most people are. I'll bet you, and you tell us, are people like that? There are an awful lot of people for whom that is the experience. And it isn't always only that the woman in, is not interested. Sometimes it's the man who's not interested. And that always takes both them and, and people in general by surprise. But that hmm. can go either way. But it's interesting when the woman lacks desire, the couple still may have regular sexual encounters. However, when the man lacks desire, the couple tends not to have regular sexual encounters. So his lack of desire controls how often they have sex, whereas her lack of desire often doesn't control. Sometimes it does. It may control whether it's really enjoyable for both of them, but but it doesn't control the frequency. Yeah, and how are you guys doing? I mean, you've been around for a while, and how many years married? 
We've been married 54 years 54 now. years, and you're still going strong? I mean, I know that you're, you're coaches, but, you're, you know, just be honest. Uh, how are you guys doing there? We're doing, yeah. we're doing pretty well. So, you know, we do all slow down a little bit as we, as we age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's, and, and we're no different than anyone else there. But um, whenever, whenever we're together, that's still a massively enjoyable experience for us. If Good. That's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah I, that's what I'm asking. I should be more forthright. But, you know, it seems like trust is such a big issue. So do we not trust our, our spouses or sometimes there's a lack of trust? And how do we get there? Well, sometimes trust has been broken in the relationship, but other times it one spouse has difficulty trusting because they couldn't trust the opposite sex parent. Mm. They were violated or hurt physically or sexually or emotionally. And so it. I was just talking to a person today in that situation who just has difficulty trusting her husband but the basis for it is what she grew up with and now she's applying that in the sexual life and she knows it that it isn't her husband but still hard there's a lot of communication here i mean i don't think people i guess married couples in general they don't expect to learn how to communicate in that area they figure it should come naturally and probably like all of marriage and communication it should just happen naturally so that people think but they have to really work at it and that's where you come in that's right and it's very rewarding work because we do find that change is possible and we are a hundred percent convinced that all couples can find a mutually satisfying sexual experience. It may not be exactly like they thought it was going to be, or it may have some limitations because of physical issues. It may have some limitations as we age. It may have some limitations, you know, when we're having babies, all things like that. But that doesn't mean it can't be mutually enjoyable and intimacy building and wonderfully satisfying for both what do you think some of the mistakes are that people make i mean if they don't go to a sex therapist and learn and and consult the lord too because both of you christians of course and yeah um what happens what are the big kind of mistakes where you're like oh if they only came to me well uh, the, the first one is what we referred to a little earlier and that is when the when the idea is there that it's the woman's job to please the man rather than that it's the man's job to affirm and please the woman. Hmm. It with the woman may be a better way to say it. At, when, when the man can really love the woman where she is, that's what brings about the change. And when she can affirm her sexuality and share it with him. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, Paul talks about this in the fifth chapter of Ephesians when he's talking about the sexual relationship and he says that the man is to love his wife and give himself to her like Christ loved the church and dressing her in dazzling raiment and putting gold in her hair. In other words, really being affirming of her. And Paul says an interesting thing then. He says, but he's really just doing himself a favor. Because well, how does that make sense? And it ends up because they're already one in marriage. 
And so, and we find that as, and this is where I think our books are probably different than the books that are out there, as the man is able to relinquish his need, his rights, and really get with her and love her and affirm her and adore her and delight in her, then her heart opens up to him. She has to feel connected. And when she feels connected and adored and loved, then she invites him sexually, even as the bride in Song of Solomon does. Solomon doesn't initiate. He only tells her how beautiful she is, hmm. what he likes about her, how wonderful she is. And then she invites him. She's the one that's getting impatient and says, come on, let's go into the orchard and see if the pomegranates have blossomed. <laughs> Well, you know, I think we can draw from that, yeah. And maybe yeah. we can learn more from the... That's the main chapter, though, is it, in the Bible? That, or are there other ones, do you think, that lead us... That's the model. And then there, throughout the New Testament, there are various passages. And all of those passages that refer to sex and marriage incorporate or start with a command for mutuality. Okay, it makes sense. Yeah, if you read, They're never one-sided. If you read, for example, the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians, it is a totally equal system where the husband loves his wife right. and gives himself to her, and the wife loves her. The husband gives herself to him. It goes back and forth like that, rather than that it's a, a male-dominant, woman-pleasing the man kind of system. And uh, that's the, the message that we hope we get out in both Enjoy and The Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Yeah, because you do talk about that control. I'm sorry, you go ahead. (laughs) Say that again? No, I was going to say the control. You do talk about that. That's kind of where the couples kind of mess up when they use a a means of control with sex. I mean, it should be in in a very beautiful sharing way that you're talking about. But sometimes it gets a little out of kilter where, you know, we hold something against our spouse or use anger or control or uh, fear, all these different things to, you know, to trap the person, I suppose. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. We either can use neediness to demand, or we can use control to resist. Both cause difficulty. Mm-hmm. Because, but when we give ourselves freely without demand and allow the other person to give themselves freely, that's when it flows most beautifully. But there are things that get in the way of that, and there are blocks to that intimacy, and we have some tools in the books that help with that. We got a formula for intimacy that something we've developed over the years that is so effective in helping couples not just with sex but just with getting close and building that bonding that helps them have a better sex life isn't it amazing we can have all these different emotions i mean sexual emotions are probably like the highest kind of emotions other than worship or actually maybe even part of worship you can talk about that whether we could bring a sense of worship into the marriage bed and two becoming one um but having all these emotions and not being able to talk about it must be difficult well this is one of the reasons why we encourage couples to to take a book like enjoy or the married guy's guide to great sex and read them out loud together because a lot of couples have very little comfort or even knowledge about how to talk about sex and if they try they seem to always end up in the same path of destruction and argument how do you mean well one will always say you know you never want sex and the other one will say 
that's all you want. That's all you want. Mm. You never really care about me, so how can I want to have sex? And or, or an example would be, you know, a lot of husbands um, will complain a lot about sex, which is the very opposite of what is likely to bring the woman toward him. Because what we know is that when she feels affirmed and good about herself, she is likely to open up to him. And when she feels judged, criticized, evaluated, put down, she will pull away from him. Mm. So he's doing the very opposite of what is going to actually work for him. And we find the sexually needy male typically tries so hard and often very sweetly and kindly to fix her so that she will want sex and meet his need. Well, that is just a destructive pattern that mm. goes nowhere and except down downward spiral and what we try to do as we work with couples or have them read the books is to interrupt the downward spiral when they don't get help or they try to talk and it's not working and start building positive experiences eliminate the negative and get the get things going upward rather than down and so when we have them read a book out loud what will often happen is they will catch on one to just what words to use to describe their experience and then be able to say yeah what they said right here that's exactly how I feel or that's what I feel from you or whatever and then they can then they can grow from that process it's almost like having a third party there because they can say well that's not quite me but the way I experience it is and then they can read it again and we all hmm. say it the purpose isn't to read through the book. The purpose is to use the book as a tool and go through it gradually and slowly. It isn't getting through it and then checking it off your list. It's much more like a uh, like you go into therapy weekly. You can just spend some time each week reading it and discussing it and talking about it and opening that communication in an effective way. Sure. And speaking of therapy, I mean, people can overanalyze some of this. And you mentioned that, the fact that it's if you're maybe in the batter's box, if you're a baseball player and you're looking at your swing and kind of analyzing things, and yeah. it can kind of, I don't know, I only lead to maybe uptight kind of interaction between the husband and the wife. And can you talk about that a little bit, the overanalyzing, yeah. We talk about getting into the spectator role or the observing role. And say that sex is not a spectator sport. <laughs> so you've got, to, you've got to dive in. You can't be watching because when you watch, because our sexual responses are an involuntary response, like falling asleep, there are mm. things we do to help with it, but it's involuntary. And when we watch an involuntary response, it interferes with it. And so what we're trying to do is, is help couples actually get, get lost in the experience of it rather than being outside watching. And, and it can go different ways. It can be the man watching whether the woman's responding the way he wants or doing what she wants him to do or watching whether his response is what he wants. Or she can be watching herself or watching him. And all of that watching, whichever direction it goes, whether to the partner or to themselves, it always uh, is destructive to the mm -hmm. experience. I once heard it was a CD with Dr. Timothy Keller. He was talking about you know him counseling and when it comes to sex, and he said, "I'd like to kind of imitate him." He says, "Go ahead." And I, what I want you to do, he says, "What I want you to do is to go home, and every day I want you to have sex every single day, and then I want you to come back to me." 
And the couple would be fighting, and he said, how are things going? And they said, better. (laughs) 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 Just because, you know, I mean, just getting in that mode of actually doing it. Doing it, right, right. But uh, we're with Dr. Clifford and Joyce Penner. They're internationally recognized sexual therapists, educators, and authors. Joyce is a clinical nurse specialist. She holds a master's degree in psychosomatic nursing from UCLA. And Clifford, a clinical psychologist, earned an MA in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. And he holds a PhD from Fuller's Graduate School of Psychology. I should be calling you Dr. Penner. I'm sorry. No, we're Cliff and Joyce. All right, that's fine. <laughs> so now let's talk about some of the, can people talk about, we're all adults here, can they talk openly and say the word like orgasm or things like that? I mean, is that where couples kind of, well, I don't know if I could talk about like that with my husband or uh, I'm not too sure because you have a chapter here where you say that the sex life positive for both Uh, Maggie learned to take in pleasure for herself, allow arousal, and have regular orgasmic release. She now enjoys communicating with her husband about her sexual likes and dislikes. See, right there, people, I bet it takes a long time for them to even have that conversation. Right, and that's another reason why reading out loud together is so helpful. Because then they hear themselves say those words and it makes it. They may have never said those words out loud to anybody before. And so it's true. To, to read, read it, and then talk about it, and and get into it. That's usually the pathway into open communication. Mm-hmm. Now, equal opportunists, because we've been talking about women a lot here. The wife. Now, what about men? What don't women get about their husbands when it comes to sex? Yeah. Were you going to answer, Joyce? Wait, I got really silent there. <laughs> <laughs> Joyce, you go ahead. Well, I wasn't sure of the what. Oh well, in in other words, like um, you know, you're talking about how the the man, of course, has to work and and understand his wife, so she opens up to him and right. and intimacy. But what about the man? I mean, what what about the woman that doesn't understand about her her husband when it comes to sex? Well, what the main thing the woman has to do, which is sometimes doesn't seem fair to the man, but it is actually what works best is get with her own sexuality and share it freely with him. When she shares her sexuality freely with him, he's happy because there's nothing that gets him, pleases a man more than a turned-on woman. Hmm. That, now, is, that is a basic... But that's not true, the opposite. The turned-on man is not necessarily a positive for a woman. It can, be a, it can end up feeling like a demand. Hmm. So when the, when, that's why it's different for men and women. Mm-hmm. When the woman can get with the idea that the way she pleases him most is by being an enthusiastic partner and then looking at what it takes for her to be that enthusiastic partner, uh, that is what's going to help him the most enjoy himself to the greatest extent because the man feels best when she is really having a good time. So she has to be able to connect her sexuality with her spirituality, have realistic expectations, to realize that her sexuality is as important as his and that she get with that, that she's able to receive and accepts her body and embraces new experiences so that she can freely let go and enjoy. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's mm -hmm. what she has to do rather than focus on when she does that, then he's happy. How do we bring God into the picture here? Because no doubt he gave us sexual emotions and feelings and parts, you know, and God, God gave us. It's so funny how we could think, oh, God, you wouldn't understand about that in the church. But yeah, he gave us the parts and the feelings and everything like that. So uh, can we make it? about him and can we invite jesus into the bedroom is it is it kind oh, of a, a sense of worship but, but let's let's back up a bit all right throughout the old testament when the old testament writers are trying to uh, demonstrate the relationship between god and his people what they often talk about is uh, israel being god's bride a virgin uh, all those kind of things in sexual terms which says to us that that to understand God, we we can best get a picture of that from the intensity of the experience in a sexual relationship. And then this is the same thing in the New Testament, where the church, the believer, is referred to as Christ's bride, and in sexual terms, in very sexual terms. That's that Ephesians five passage. Paul goes back and forth talking about the church and the relationship of Christ and the church and then goes back to talking about sex between the husband and wife and so uh, we believe that that when that was used by the biblical writers as the best picture of how to understand our relationship with God that's the greatest God endorsement we can get hmm. yeah because you know he made sex and he intended it to be a certain way, and obviously to have a spiritual value as well, which I think a lot of people forget about. They probably learn it. You you know, we kid it around that you're slowing down a little bit, but I mean, I'm sure that perhaps, and you let me know, that maybe it could be even more meaningful because Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Yep. It does, because it, it has uh, more of that closeness and bonding and not needing so much hype with it. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's really about a deep sense of connection and intimacy and comfort and security and peace uh, that we look for in a relationship with God that can be modeled as we grow in our closeness and intimacy with each other. Yeah, and the modeling that you said, which I thought was interesting, like if you're a woman and you watch co closely about your mom, let's just say, and you look and notice, is she a sexual person? How does she respond to dad? And you observe these things. You can go in one direction, let's just say, if she's a non-sexual mom, okay? And and then maybe you're going to be a sexual person, but you could also say, wait a minute, I'm going to model exactly what I see. Does that happen to people not realize that they take that on? Yes, and they take it on without realizing. And when that model is good, that's then that works out. Mm -hmm. But when the model is negative about sex, then we have to, we as women then have to make a decision that that's not the way I'm going to be, that I want sex to be good for me, just like it is for my husband, and I want to enjoy it and delight in it and have a wonderful time. So why would I want to make, go in and create a negative expectation? And then there's another thing that we have to add, and that is, until uh, young adults get married, the primary message is keep yourself pure, almost implying that sex is bad, and then 
when they get married, they're supposed to flick the switch and say, hmm. now sex is good. Good point. Uh, for a lot of couples, that doesn't work very well. So our message to singles and young adolescents, young adults, is sex is a wonderful gift from God. It's a, it's a precious thing that we save to share with our spouse. But, but it is a, a wonderful gift that we've been given. And that's why we call and enjoy the subtitle of the book is The Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women because this is a wonderful gift that we have to treat with special care but but we need to have a very positive message about it rather than a negative one mm-hmm. so so that rather in saying save it for marriage it isn't saving it for marriage because sex is bad it's saving it for marriage because we want god wants us to have an amazingly wonderful sex life in our marriages the fact that he uses it as the model of how he wants to relate to us. Amen. Because he really wants sex and marriage to be wonderful. Hmm. What we do before marriage should prepare us for a wonderful sex life in marriage, not interfere with that. You hear that, folks? You got to go out and have a good sex life with your husband and your wife. You know, you should. Yeah. And But it's amazing how Satan creeps into all that because all of a sudden, you know, the Lord says, you don't go to bed angry. Because then Satan can get a foothold in, in a couple's life, and then that could lead to maybe an affair. It's amazing how all these, unless people are really on the same page communicating, uh, I'm sure that you have to undo a lot of those uh, devices. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's part of our job as sex therapists and, mm-hmm. and counselors. Yeah, and I just have to ask you, too, I hope you don't mind, when it comes to... I guess positions and the act of sex and things like that. How far do you guys go with it? You know, being discreet. How how far do you guys go with all that? What what we talk about is that we have a set of guidelines that we like to use. That that first of all, the basic principle that that the Bible teaches in the New Testament is that sex is for the mutual benefit of both. Mm. So first of all, it has to be mutually enjoyed. It has mm-hmm. to be as good for one as it is for the other. Mm-hmm. That's the first principle. Secondly, it is to be something that that never uh, separates us from one another, but rather draws us closer to one another. Since we're to become one, it has to build intimacy. If it's just about the erotic without the intimacy, which is the case with pornography, then it interferes with intimacy and is destructive to a sexual relationship in marriage. And then it has to not be anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God, and so when people apply those principles, then then it's easy to talk about what kind of positions or whether you engage in this form of stimulation mm. or that, uh, all those kind of things. When you apply those basic principles of mutuality and respect, then you don't have to fuss about whether this is okay or this isn't okay because you've applied those principles to it. You know, you think about an athlete or a model, like when you, the perfect body, let's just say athletic-wise and things like that. Of course, you know, two people in the bedroom, its we're not Photoshopped, folks, you know. We're, we have different shapes and sizes and things like that. And, and sometimes, do we ever just kind of feel kind of guilty and shameful? Like, hey, this isn't working out. Well, body image, how people feel about their bodies, and particularly for women, is it can be a large, a huge barrier to a woman 
enjoying sex and when she doesn't feel good about her body and doesn't enjoy sex, then that really breaks, then that isn't good for the husband either. That but if we have to keep reminding that that can't be determined by the, the external standards. We've known people, for example, women who weighed 300 pounds who had an absolutely delightful sexual life. And women who were New York, Paris models who had pain in their background, who just who, could not enjoy sex. Because of the shame about their bodies. Mm -hmm. So it all has to do with what we bring into it rather than what might be the external standard. Yeah, we had a uh, my wife and I a messianic rabbi, and uh, he was preparing us that your your marriage day or night, you know, the honeymoon, it may not be what you think. So I just want to prepare you guys that you know maybe it's it's sticky or whatever. Or you say to you, yourself if it doesn't work out, hey, um, you know, you want some chocolate? You want to take a shower? Just <laughs> he's just yeah. trying to say like let's just not That's get so. You know, pent up or uptight about it if it's not exactly what you expect. I'm sure a lot of couples on that wedding night or the honeymoon are, are a little disappointed. Yeah, in fact, we, in our book, Getting Your Sex Life Off to a Great Start. Which is for engaged couples. They, we encourage couples to go through it very thoroughly about six months before marriage. Uh, we have our telephone number in the chapter on the honeymoon, and we get regular calls. <laughs> we had one this week. From really? Couples. All over the world, we say, if you get stuck on your honeymoon, call us. And they do. And, and it's very rewarding. I usually take those calls. And it can be five, ten minutes, and it will make a major difference in terms of how they wow. remember their honeymoon every anniversary. Hmm. So we just got a, a one call this week and one email this week mm -hmm. from, from people on their honeymoon who are trying to help get some help to work things out. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm mean, interesting, and probably, I don't know. Do you take calls all different times of the night, or do you have a limit on that? No, no they can leave a message. <laughs> they, they yeah, leave, leave a message <laughs> on our. They yeah. leave a message on our voicemail, and then we get back to them as soon as we can. Yeah, and off the record, can I can I have you guys on speed dial or? No. Okay. So, <laughs> there you go. yeah. So, uh, so with us is uh, Dr. Clifford and Joyce Penner. They are our special guests. They have two books: "Enjoy the Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women" and "The Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex." And what was the other one? Well, we got other books. You probably have hundreds of different books. Excuse me. <laughs> the one we were just talking about was um, getting your sex life off to a great start, which is for engaged couples preparing for a happy sex life. Yeah, and give out your website too, where people could buy your books. Well, our website is passionatecommitment.com and on there we talk about where we're speaking and and what resources are available in terms of uh, books or videos or all those kind of things. And our frequently asked questions and often couples will find that the question they have we've already answered to, to somebody else. So that's passionate commitment.com mm -hmm. It's amazing how both of you found your way, how God led you to be sex therapists. We appreciate all the work that you do because now people can have healthy marriages and enjoy the gift of sex. And we appreciate you uh, being on the program. If you had one thing to say to a married couple about sex, just one out of all your years of experience, what would you tell them? That there's great hope that, that you don't have to be stuck with a dissatisfying, painful, disappointing sex life. Mm. That's exactly what I was going to say. 
hope is the biggest thing we'd want to communicate because sexual problems are solvable. You're, you're not going to have to live with it forever. Amen. Dr. Clifford and Joyce Penner, thanks for being on the program. Okay. That's our Thanks pleasure. for having us.